My name is Mitchell Slater, and this is a podcast of River Oaks Clover Hill, where our mission is to declare the gospel, make disciples, and demonstrate the Father's love. This is the Committed Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Committed Podcast. This is a podcast of River Oaks Clover Hill, a new church in Maryville, Tennessee. And my name is Mitchell Slater. It is my joy to serve as the senior pastor here at Clover Hill. And in this podcast, we're talking about our seven commitments as a church. These commitments, all seven of them, they're framed as both ands. These are both and realities that we are pursuing with fullness as a church. So last week, we looked at theology and doxology, and in this episode, we will look at gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Now, this is a concept that you'll see all over the New Testament, but I'm thankful to Pastor Ray Ortland for kind of putting it in these terms. I think it's a very helpful way to think about this, so I'll be quoting him several times throughout this episode. But just to put it simply, our doctrine what we believe, and our culture, how we live together, they should be in harmony. Ortland says that gospel doctrine is the biblical message of divine grace for the undeserving, while gospel culture is the shared experience of grace for the undeserving. Or as, as Francis Schaeffer used to put it, we need to have both an orthodoxy of doctrine and an orthodoxy of community. So if we have the right doctrine with an unhealthy church culture, we end up with hypocrisy. Or if we try to have a healthy culture without biblical doctrine, the culture just ends up fragile because it's not grounded in the truth. But when we have both doctrine and culture in harmony, that brings power. And this powerful combination has to start with the doctrine because God's word is always our starting place. So gospel doctrine, the good news of what God has done for bad people through the work of Jesus, that message should be the central jewel of our life together as a church. And this is where we need to bring another important contrast into this. That is law and gospel. The law is what God requires of us, and the gospel is what God has provided for us. The law is important. The law is good. It shows us God's character. It exposes how we fall short of his glory. It shows us why we need a Savior, and then it helps us know how God wants us to live to please him. The law is good. But the law can't save us, and it can't change us. So our churches shouldn't be just exclusively focused on law, you know, on all the good things that we need to do and the bad things that we need to avoid, because the law is meant to lead us to the gospel, which needs to be our central focus. It's the message of first importance. The gospel isn't the message that just initially saves us, and then we move on to other things. No, the the gospel is what ignites the fire of our Christian life, and it's the fuel that keeps that fire 
going and growing every single day. But that gospel doctrine, it's not meant to be alone. Gospel doctrine is intended to produce a gospel culture in the church. And when that doesn't happen, it's palpable. You notice it. You feel it. My wife and I were talking just the other day about some of our past church experiences, especially in our childhood, and we realized that looking back, it was actually a lack of gospel culture that proved to be problematic. We were in churches that preached the gospel, but they didn't live in light of that gospel in their community life together. You would hear about God's grace from the pulpit, but you didn't feel God's grace. You didn't experience God's grace among the congregation. But the gospel is meant to saturate the relational environment of a local church. The gospel is meant to saturate the relational environment, the the atmosphere of a local church. So, for example, just one verse, Ephesians 4.32, Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. In that one single verse, we have gospel culture, forgive one another, which flows out of our gospel doctrine, because God in Christ has forgiven you. Right? The doctrine of divine forgiveness produces a culture of forgiveness in the church. We can forgive each other because God has forgiven us. Another good example is in Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14. This is Paul talking. He says, But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now in this narrative... Paul is publicly and powerfully confronting Peter about distorting the gospel. But notice, this gospel distortion, it didn't take place in Peter's teaching. It took place in Peter's living. He didn't miss the gospel in the pulpit. He missed the gospel at the dinner table. The good news of Jesus levels the playing field. It brings every human being down to their knees before the cross. But Peter, out of fear, stopped eating with Gentile Christians. And Paul rightly diagnosed this as as conduct which is out of step, out of alignment with the truth of the gospel. Peter had gospel doctrine, but his actions were a serious threat to the gospel culture of the church at Antioch because it says, This was affecting other people, even Barnabas. Peter's actions were starting to reshape the culture of the church in Antioch in a very negative way, in a very anti-gospel way. But doctrine and culture, 
gospel doctrine, gospel culture, when lived out together, oh, they create a beautiful harmony. So for example, the doctrine of regeneration, that we have been brought from death to life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. We've been made new. We've been born again. That doctrine should produce in us a culture of humility. We've been brought from death to life. How can we be proud and arrogant? Or the doctrine of justification, that, that all people can be covered in Christ's righteousness by faith, that, that their sins can be canceled, and Christ's perfect record can be imputed to them by faith. That should produce a culture of welcome. Right? God has welcomed and accepted us because of nothing we have done. How can we not welcome and accept one another? Or the doctrine of sanctification, that the Holy Spirit is progressively making us more like Jesus. He is changing our hearts that our desire would be to become holy as God is holy. Well, that doctrine should produce in our church a culture of transformation. We're expecting real change to happen in real people's lives, a culture of transformation. Or think about the doctrine of glorification, that that one day we will be raised with Christ in glory. We will have perfect bodies and our souls will be completely purified and we will be with Christ in the perfection of glory. That doctrine should produce a culture of hope. Our church culture should be marked by hope because we are a people who confess that we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. In other words, gospel doctrine and gospel culture go hand in hand. And we as a church, we want to pursue both with fullness and passion and commitment. Let's close with a final quote from Pastor Ray Ortland. He says, Faithfulness to the gospel requires more than doctrinal purity in our churches. It also requires relational beauty in our churches. Oh, may it be so among us. May the Lord help our church to hold fast to gospel doctrine and to live out gospel culture. So until next time, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen.